This episode is a continuation of a previous episode where we talked about the first three episodes of WandaVision. This is going to cover episodes four through six, so if you haven't listened to that one yet, you know, back up and click on that one. We'll wait. We're recording. We can wait for as long as you need us to. And with that out of the way, talking about is a seg. Streaming shows, at least when they first started off, were often criticized for kind of lagging in the middle, which I believe WandaVision has managed to circumvent, partially helped by the fact that instead of just dumping all the episodes on you at once, they're making you wait a week like a caveman would. But it's helping the construction, and I think that this program has a better idea of what it's trying to do and how to pace itself. We'll be talking about that as well as other things while we talk about episodes four through six of WandaVision. My name is Ryan. This is a real deep dive. Joining me on this episode, just like the last one, is my sister Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Welcome back. Hi. And furthermore, making her debut on Real Deep Dive is Nicole. Hello. Hello. You are Sarah's bae. Yes, yes, she is. Because that's what we call each other. All the time. Yes, yeah, as, as, as Brian David Gilbert would say, it's totally woke bae. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so before I get started on the stuff that I have written down, takes on WandaVision thus far. We're not talking about episode seven, which we just finished, but, you know, four through six, any immediate reactions? I mean, I'm really enjoying it, obviously. I imagine we're going to get into it more in depth in the episodes, but yeah, they're combining a lot of different aspects of the Marvel Universe and changing things around, and I'm really enjoying it. And we're also getting to uh, episodes that take place in sitcom history that, you know, we were around for when they were new. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting shot as opposed to comparing it to the episodes that cover shows that we watched and uh, Nick at Night in the late 90s. Right. So I'm going to just jump right into episode six because I can't remember that far back because I can barely remember what I had for breakfast this morning. Okay, so episode six focuses on late 90s, early aughts. And I was very, very, very impressed and kind of horrified at like how well they got that vibe, especially with the Malcolm in the Middle homage. However, I felt very like whiplashy from all the um what do they call those you know when they make the thing go whoosh the lateral pans yes thank you yeah cutaways and yeah those didn't age well i guess malcolm in the middle probably didn't age well yeah malcolm in the middle is getting to that point where it's old enough to seem like a product of its time i think it's held up wonderfully i i I love that show while it was on but we can get into that since in the previous episode i covered the production of the series we'll talk about that a little bit more but I thought that we could take a minute to talk about the creation of the characters in terms of their comic book origins. Starting off with the Scarlet Witch. She was created by Stanley and Jack Kirby and introduced as a reluctant villain in X-Men number 4 in 1964. You see, Magneto rescued her from an angry mob who wanted to kill her for her witchcraft powers, thus drafting both her and her twin brother Quicksilver into his brotherhood of evil mutants. Later on, it was revealed that Magneto was Wanda's father, although they've been going back and forth on that because of dumb legal stuff I don't even want to talk about. Later on, Wanda and Quicksilver uh, abandoned Magneto and joined the Avengers uh, at the same time as Hawkeye. Later on down the road, Roy Thomas had her date the Vision, since neither of them starred in a solo title and he can make their romance a story focus without interference from, say, a solo book from Captain America or Iron Man. Thomas handed off the Avengers to Steve Englehart, who had Vision and Scarlet Witch get married and have children. And then, later on, when John Byrne was writing Avengers, he didn't like that. So he decided that the children were imaginary constructs pulled from 
souls that Wanda kidnapped from hell and had the vision get destroyed and then rebuilt without any of his emotions. So his marriage to Wanda was annulled. And there is a fun interview with Gail Simone interviews him and gives him a lot of shit for it because she didn't like that story. I would love to read that interview because I also don't fucking like that story. So he can fuck off. So anyways, losing her children made Wanda traumatized, and eventually she went full Dark Phoenix in the Avengers Disassembled arc written by Ryan Michael Bendis, and eventually created a fake alternate reality called the House of M, where all the X-Men and Avengers got their secret heart's desires, but underneath they knew that the reality wasn't real, and they kept trying to break out of it. Which shards of that are in WandaVision? I do not like the House of M storyline. I was interested in seeing them try to do a good version of that, which, you know, so far so good. Yeah, I think they're pulling it off. They still have two more episodes to totally ruin for you guys, though. Yeah, I know. And for the Vision, the original Vision was created by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby and introduced in Marvel Mystery Comics number 13 in 1940. Wow, he's that old? Not exactly. I'm getting to that. Uh, This version of the Vision was an interdimensional cop who fights crime on Earth by teleporting through smoke. (laughs) There are dumber things in comics. I don't know why you're laughing that loud. Okay, I think this is the law and order we're not getting that we really deserve. (laughs) Anyways, that character uh, appeared throughout the golden age of comics, but was put aside when superheroes fell out of favor when World War II ended. However, he was remembered by Roy Thomas. There was a slot in the Avengers that they wanted to fill with a new character, and Thomas wanted to revive this version of the Vision, but Stan Lee didn't like that. Stan Lee wanted to have a robot character, so he's like, you know what, I'll have a robot character and I'll call him the Vision. This version of the character, you know, the one that people know, was introduced in Avengers number 57 in 1968. He's co-created by John Buscema, who uh, redesigned the costume. Uh, initially, Thomas wanted the Vision to be completely transparent, but comic book printing was not up to snuff for that in 1968, so he decided to make him, you know, have like a green body like the original Vision and to give him a red face. The original interdimensional cop vision was eventually revived by Roy Thomas in the pages of the Invaders, and in order to not confuse him with the robot vision, they refer to him as Arcus. Okay. I already mentioned the vision, uh, his character arc is that he sort of has Pinocchio syndrome, uh, cold robotic, working with his emotions, like certain Star Trek characters I could name. (laughs) Some of us are more about Trek than than about the Marvel superheroes. Ah, People who may be giggling. Yeah, I already mentioned the Vision Quest storyline where Wanda's uh, children end up being fake and Vision loses his emotions, so on and so forth. And uh, I think that's everything I can get into about the comics things without getting on too far of a diatribe. So let's move on to the plot of the episodes themselves. Episode 4 is called We Interrupt This Program, which, you know, because it it doesn't take place in sitcom land. Okay, Monica Rambeau, agent of S.W.O.R.D., returns to life after the Thanos blip. Her mother has died of cancer, and S.W.O.R.D. has reservations about returning her to outer space. That's S.W.O.R.D.'s main thing. They're like the outer space version of S.H.I.E.L.D. S.W.O.R.D. and S.H.I.E.L.D., eh? You get it? Eh? 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 (laughs) Eh? 
Uh, Rambo is asked to uh, accompany FBI agent Jimmy Wu on a missing persons case in Westview, New Jersey. They discover a hexagonal force field surrounding the community and local police who deny that the town exists. Rambo is, is soon pulled into Westview. Sword establishes a base camp around Westview and calls in several specialists, including Dr. Darcy Lewis. After studying the phenomenon, Dr. Lewis discovers the WandaVision broadcasts. I just want to interrupt for a second and just say about how glad I am that she finally got her doctorate. She was an intern in all of the other movies and she finally gets her doctorate here, and good for her. And also, they gave Kat Denning something to do because she is a fantastic performer and she is totally wasted in those Thor movies. Oh, I love her so much. She's wasted almost as hard as Natalie Portman was. Oh, Natalie Portman. Sword studies each episode, noting that the missing townspeople have been cast as stock sitcom uh, character types. Rambo shows up as Geraldine. Darcy and Jimmy try to send drones and personnel into Westview, but the reality warp affects them. An attempt to contact Wanda via radio also fails. Geraldine is cast out of Westview, and she mentions Ultron to Wanda. Upon retrieval by Sword agents, Rambo claims that Wanda is in control of the phenomenon. Meanwhile, Wanda briefly sees Vision as he truly is, a destroyed corpse with his little head jewel missing. Oh, that was so fun. Disturbed, she quickly restores the sitcom illusion. Episode 5 is called On a Very Special Episode. In this one, WandaVision is shifted to a late 80s, early 90s aesthetic via, say, family ties or the facts of life. Uh, We open with Wanda and Vision trying to appease their sobbing twin boys. Uh, Agnes stops in to help, but Vision is creeped out by her behavior. You know, Agnes implies to Wanda that she's aware of the fake reality. Tommy and Billy suddenly age up to about five years of age. The boys find a stray dog and beg to adopt it. Wanda eventually agrees, and the dog is named Sparky by Agnes. Wanda casually uses her powers in front of Agnes, which sparks concern and suspicion in Vision, because up till then... They were trying to hide their extra-normal abilities. Sword, learning their lesson, uh, sends in a drone that actually dates from the period where the sitcom is taking place, in the hopes that it won't be distorted by Wanda's powers. Rambo and Wu, believing that Wanda is mentally ill, try to talk her down. The drone, acting under the command of Sword director Tyler Hayward, he's our local military dickhead character type, Always gonna have one of those. Yep, tries to kill Wanda. She survives the attack and emerges from the force field to threaten Sword, very scarily, and in ways that made some people feel things. (laughs) (laughs) Naughty things. It was hot. I'm scared and horny. (laughs) At work, Vision stumbles across an email from Sword that reveals the situation in Westview. He breaks through to a co-worker who fearfully informs Vision that Wanda is mind-controlling the entire town. Sparky, frightened by the drone, runs off and is later discovered dead by Agnes. Tommy and Billy implore Wanda to revive the dog, but Wanda cannot. The boys try to age themselves up again, but Wanda stops them. Vision confronts Wanda about what he's learned. Wanda tries to deflect, causing the argument to grow heated, and also she tries to make sitcom credits appear. This is a nice touch. They are interrupted by Wanda's long-dead brother Pietro, looking very different from how he appeared outside of Westview. A watching Dr. Lewis exclaims that Pietro has been recast. And then, episode 6, the all-new Halloween spooktacular. WandaVision is now set in a late 90s, early 2000s, more like Malcolm in the Middle, as we already mentioned. 
Uh, Wanda wants Vision to take Tommy and Billy trick-or-treating, but Vision feels obligated to patrol with the neighborhood watch. Pietro offers to step in, mostly causes mischief with the super speed. Tommy soon reveals that he has inherited his uncle's powers. Vision wanders away from the family and discovers all the residents of Westview frozen in place, Agnes included. If you get too far away from Wanda, you just stop moving, I guess. Uh, Vision tries to communicate with Agnes's true self, and she tells him that he is actually dead. Meanwhile, Wanda is talking to Pietro, scare quotes, at the Halloween fair, and he is aware that the town is being manipulated, that reality is being distorted, he's kind of egging her on a little bit, and it is making Wanda very suspicious, especially since he does not resemble the Pietro that she knows, keeps kind of trying to quiz him, trying to make him, like, you know, slip up and reveal something that he shouldn't. And then at the sword camp, Hayward orders Rambo, Dr. Lewis, and Agent Wu to leave since they protested his decision to attack Wanda. They later sneak back in and hack Hayward's computer, learning that he's tracking Vision's vibranium signature, and therefore has ulterior motives to the surprise of nobody, including those inside the show itself. Vision tries to leave Westview, but begins to disintegrate immediately upon this. Billy senses this after Wanda's argument with Pietro grows heated and she just sort of hex magics him away with, with a bolt. Uh, Billy senses this with his emerging powers, he seems to be inheriting his mother's abilities, and tells Wanda. She expands the field, enveloping Vision along with Dr. Lewis and numerous sword agents who are transformed into clowns. And that is episodes four through six. After recapping and giving you the synopses, is there anything about those that suddenly leap out at you? Um, I think it's really interesting in the episode where she's trying to figure out if it's Pietro when she sees him uh, dead. He dies, even though he's the quote-unquote wrong Pietro because he's the one from the you know X-Men universe. His death wounds are all in the same spots as her Pietro's because as far as I know, they haven't killed the Quicksilver in the X-Men movies, right? Uh, I haven't watched the Dark Phoenix X-Men movie because, yeah, why? But, uh, yeah, he is alive as as far as Apocalypse is the last one I I sat through. So um, I find it interesting that he is, for all intents and purposes, quote-unquote, her Pietro, but... Yeah, there's something I want to talk about in the in the themes a bit, just uh, recasting Evan Peters as Quicksilver, because that is clearly a metafictional nod in a show that is chock-full of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked Evan Peters. Uh, the first one he shows up in is Days of Future Past, and he has that fun sequence where, you know, time has stood still, and he's just wandering around and running around and changing things, and everybody liked that, so they just did it again in Apocalypse, which is sad and lazy, and I feel that he was never really given a fair chance, so he, he gets to do more in this, and, you know, good on him. Yeah, I mean, he's a good actor, so... They're giving him a lot to work with, which I think is a thing in this show, too, because they really don't give uh, Vision or Scarlet Witch much to do in the Avengers movies, and now we get to see them actually like do things on screen together. So It seems like the Marvel movies are setting up a multiverse thing, where they're sort of working in characters and concepts that were introduced in non-canonical films. Like, the announcements made about the next Spider-Man movie make it sound like it's going to be the most bonkers thing of all time, because mm-hmm. characters from the Sam Raimi and the Mark Webb Spider-Man films are going to show up in it played by the same actors so they're just like oh since disney now owns everything as creepy as that is in certain ways in which you don't want one company controlling all of the media but oh yeah monopolies always end well wolverine can fight captain america now that's gonna be fun yay (laughs) yay 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 
Fine. Yeah. Totally fine. Unless having Evan Peters be Quicksilver is a red herring, which it very well could be. So one thing I definitely wanted to talk about that uh, we didn't bring up in the previous episode because of space is the music for this series. They do it so well. The principal composer is Christoph Beck. He mostly did it with small orchestras in the early episodes. And then as it kept going along, added instruments associated with uh, pop and rock music, you know, gradually adding it as it became more period appropriate. Beck's theory is that he wanted the score to become more pervasive as the series continues, especially in the later episodes where you go from like sitcom land to MCU land outside. Not only does the aspect ratio change denote the change in tone, but also the score becomes more pronounced, which I thought was very clever of him. However, the thing that everyone's talking about when it comes to the music on this show are the theme songs to the various episodes, which are all on point. Beck orchestrated those as well, but they were primarily written by Robert Lopez and Kristen uh, Anderson Lopez. They they worked with Beck before on Frozen. They did each of the theme songs. Uh, Each theme song uses the same four-note motif. The first two notes are in a major octave, whereas the last two are a tritone or sometimes referred to as a devil's interval. That was composed by them to sort of imply that there's something not quite right. In the previous episode of the show, we talked about how WandaVision can kind of be interpreted as, like, baby's first Twin Peaks. Like this is a Disneyfied David Lynch thing. There's some blue velvet shit going on. That holds, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it implies a big, bright, colored swing while also being a little unsettling in the back. And as Nicole mentioned earlier, they really nailed that Malcolm in the Middle tone, especially in the opening theme song. And I think that's best because the, the, the Malcolm in the Middle theme is uh, done by They Might Be Giants, you know, yep. 90s alt-rock icons. And they decided to get Kathleen Hanna. Of, Wait, really? Yeah, that was Kathleen I Hanna. Did not. Oh my god. Yeah, of uh, <laughs> B- Bikini Kill and Latigra fame. Yes. Yeah, so another 90s alt-rock person. I'm sorry, I just got Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, listen to it again. It is very clearly her. Absolutely well. Okay, and talking about certain other themes. Well, since we've watched episode seven and we realize who is behind this all now, it seems a little silly to bring this up. But in most of the WandaVision like groups that I've been monitoring or you know keeping tabs on or just poking at memes, mm-hmm. the most prominent one is that the the big bad behind it all was Mephisto. And it looks like it's probably not going to be him. Yeah, we probably should have recorded this episode beforehand. Well, mm. you you were busy last week. I mean, it still could be. We got two left. The, yeah, I mean, the, the person revealed in eight, episode seven might not be acting alone after all. Right. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on Mephisto because it very well could not be him. And I don't want to talk about Mephisto for 15 minutes if it isn't re- relevant to the show, it's, ultimately. It's actually the Death Rock fan, Mephisto Waltz. Oh yeah, just in case, there. Uh, while the comics code was in stringent effect, Marvel were reluctant to have direct references to either God or Satan. But after it was relaxed in the late 60s, some demonic and angelic characters started getting added to superhero comics. The first one was a guy named Mephisto. He was an adversary of the Silver Surfer, of all people. Yeah. And his main thing was, not unlike the Mephistopheles of Faust, uh, coming up to depressed, downtrodden superheroes at the lowest uh, aspect of their lives and offering them bargains. So that would have been an explanation for how Wanda suddenly got more powers than before. Yeah, I mean, he's involved in House of M, right? Uh, no. He's not? No, Wanda does a House of M all by herself. So then where does the M come from? 
uh, House of Magnus. Magnus, got it. Yeah, because Magneto's her dad. Right, right, In House of M, Magneto becomes dictator of the world. Another thing I wanted to talk about was lampshading Full House, because... Oh my gosh, yes! Yeah, while we were leading up to this, we were like, oh wait, I can't wait till we get to the late 80s, early 90s, and they start doing, like, meta jokes about Full House, and they don't. Fun fact, though, Elizabeth Olsen said in an interview recently that she um, did a lot of her prep for the 80s episode, taking from her memories of childhood being on the Full House sets. That is interesting, because I, I was just... Like wondering why they just sidestepped it completely because obvious fan service riff would be like oh. having Wanda's eyes light up red and go, You got it, dude. And she doesn't. It's like, Is it too easy? It's like, No, it's not too easy. Maybe they were afraid of offending Elizabeth Olsen because I don't know anything about what the Olsen twins are like in their personal lives. I don't pay attention to tabloid stuff, but I have a hard time believing that show didn't fuck them up. As our resident non MCU nerd here, and just the Olsen twins had very nice negative experiences in 2004, as I'm sure many of us remember, um, with um, Mary-Kate's issues with anorexia and them being just like nasty tabloid fodder. Elizabeth is only three years younger than them and felt very, you know, hurt and scared for her sisters. They have a good relationship and she actually almost quit acting over it, um, which thankfully she didn't or else we wouldn't have our wonderful Wanda slash Scarlet Witch. But um, yeah, she actually almost quit acting. So no, she has a good relationship with her sisters and they did a lot to protect her from the same disservice that they faced. So it's interesting, very interesting that they wouldn't, you know, give us that wonderful lampshade when Elizabeth Olsen herself said that, you know, she used her memories of being on set as inspiration for playing that part. So maybe it's something we get in a later episode, maybe something glitches. Fingers crossed. Could be. Uh, another thing that made me come to mind is that they, they had a reboot of Full House on Netflix called Fuller House. Oh, and funny. apparently Mary Kate and Ashley like refused to be on it and they had a bunch of lampshady jokes on that show. So and those many. and those came off as kind of gross. Oh yeah, it was right, Chibi. Am I yeah. allowed to swear here? I've been cursing like a sailor. Go ahead. Beautiful, thank you. <laughs> So, so I was thinking maybe WandaVision was afraid of coming off like Fuller House where they were punching down. I don't know. I'm just spitballing. Mm-hmm. But uh, the last thing on my thematic list that I wanted to touch upon was the uh, idea of WandaVision being seen as a metaphor for isolation and how that could be seen as something of a perhaps unintentional nod to COVID-19 quarantines. Because a number of pop culture things came out during the recently concluded 2020 that people started associating with the pandemic, even though that clearly wasn't its intention. Thinking like the uh, the time loop rom-com uh, Palm Springs, where you're forced to relive the same day over and over and over again. And that started feeling a little relatable. And the idea in WandaVision of you just sort of sealing yourself into this reality that you know is bad for you, but you, you, you can't leave in WandaVision's case self-imposed there's a part of me that sort of twinges with that especially since i just came out of quarantine and the walls were closing in after a bit i was in my own little westview in a way i did read an interview with paul bettany where he talked about how different the wandavision set was because this was shot during the pandemic so they had to social distance whenever they weren't on set everybody was isolated in their trailers so unlike most other film sets or theaters uh plays or what have you you know, the actors and the set dressers and the directors and writers weren't just hanging around and talking to each other and sort of building this camaraderie with each other, which Bettany said he missed. And perhaps that came across in the performances, too, because there is something in WandaVision that I keep picking up is just an overwhelming spirit of loneliness. I might be projecting. I am definitely projecting. 
but possibly it's there. I don't think that's unfounded. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a theme in it anyway, because Wanda is so lonely and there is that level of despair there. So, Well, and this is like the trauma response to Trump all trauma responses. So that little piece of her that is, you know, self-aware of what's going on could definitely be interpreted as loneliness, because how could it not be? Yeah, I mean, it was seeded throughout. One aspect of this that I think is really clever and difficult to replicate, especially when stuff that is, you know, directly imitating the MCU and not quite getting it right, is just how they seed it out and they realize what their priorities are because there's nerd shit for the nerds, but it it, it never takes the gears off. Like, the show just almost subconsciously lets you know, okay, Wanda can control this, but this is outside of her area. She kidnapped the Vision here. She brought him back to life somehow. We're not quite quite sure how yet but more is coming agnes knows more than she's letting on keep an eye on her but all of it is still like in a tightly wound three-act structure and it's really impressive and as i often bring up the mcu can get homogenous at times but i am always more impressed by how well constructed it is when you look at stuff that is trying to do this and is failing at it most notably the recent dc movies or Universal's attempt at turning, like, the Frankenstein and Invisible Man and Mommy movies into a shared cinematic universe that didn't quite work out. Yeah. And, you know, it also made me think of, you know, the uh, Disney Renaissance films, and those got pretty blandy after a while, but they're still a hell of a lot better than the various Warner Brothers and DreamWorks films that are trying to do that, like The Road to El Dorado or the... Uh... I'm going to have to argue that Anastasia holds its own just as well as the Disney Renaissance movies. Fight me. Maybe not here. <laughs> I mean, I've been looking for an excuse to fist fight you, but not over Anastasia. <laughs> for listeners out there, I am like half of Ryan's height. <laughs> okay, that's everything in my notes. Is there anything else uh, you'd like to mention about WandaVision before we sign off? No, I think we got it all. Got it all. All right, join us next time for the last three episodes. Yeah.